Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast, Episode 8. We appreciate everybody being here. Uh, First and foremost, uh, an announcement, okay? Uh, This is Episode 8. We want to thank everybody for listening, for watching, for subscribing, for tuning in. So, um, you know, let me get into it. Uh, I'm, of course, Dr. Kyle Osborne, your psychologist and your clinician and one half of your host. And of course, like I just said, I'm not here by myself. I'm here with the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. None other than Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, sir? I'm good, my brother. How you feeling? Good, man. Doing pretty good. Like I said, it's episode eight. And, um, you know, we're here and... Big announcement is that we, in addition to, you know, people being able to watch us on YouTube and being able to, you know, listen to us via the links on our, on our social media pages, uh, we're moving up in the world. So recently, uh, you know, we're on all streaming, uh, apps. Okay. So all music and podcast streaming apps. So we're on Spotify now we're on iHeartRadio. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on uh, that podcast app that's on your iPhone, the one that looks like the purple one that looks like the um, the, the Incredibles logo or symbol. So um, so for everybody listening out there, it just got a lot more easier for you guys to tune in on us and subscribe. So if you're on um, any one of those streaming platforms or those apps, come check us out. OK, the black psychologist, man, we're moving up in the world. So but we couldn't have done it without you guys listening and watching. And so um, we appreciate it. You know, everybody that subscribed and um, uh, please continue to, uh, you know, support. We definitely appreciate the support and um, leave the comments because, um, you know, we could use the advice, questions or, you know, articles or any topics. Absolutely. All right, man. So we're going to get it. And first, let me, uh, let me back up. How was your weekend, brother? How was, how was your Easter and everything? Oh, man, it was good, man. Just relaxing with the family, you know. Had some good food, can't complain. But you know, back on back on Monday, it's like it's like that was a year ago now. You know, it's crazy. What about you? Uh, same here, man. I was pretty simple, pretty chill. Um, baby girl came down for the for the weekend or for you know for a few days, so it was good. We hanging out, you know. Um, so yeah, it was pretty chill. So like you said, got something to eat, just kind of chilling. So uh, pretty low key. Listen, man, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Ain't nobody doing nothing. <laughs> Nobody's doing nothing anyway, you know. Yeah, not not at all. Not over here. We gotta stay safe. Yeah, man. At least to, at least until the summertime when stuff opens up outside. Completely. Exactly. All right, man. So let's get into it. Uh, so first topic of the day. Uh, as we know, there's a lot of stuff in the news. Nothing more important or more heavier that is uh, what's going on with the Derek Chauvin trial, uh, which yeah. is related to the unfortunate death um, of. George Floyd. So that's been going on for the past week, past two weeks. And so a lot of testimony has been taking place. Uh, A lot of the witnesses that were there um, are are, are, um, 
taking a stand and they're giving their accounts of what took place. And so what's been taking place with a lot of the witnesses that have been taking the stand is that there's been in the in the midst of them giving their accounts um, of what took place during that that day is that a lot of the witnesses are experiencing and witnessing um, a lot of guilt and sadness regarding uh, George Floyd's death and just kind of as they are um, giving their accounts and kind of recapping what they took place. And so a lot of them are experiencing guilt, sadness, and a lot of other intense emotions while, while on the stand and and, um, giving their testimony. So um, I don't, not sure how much of it you've been able to see, um, but from what you have been able to see, what's your account, what's your take on it? I mean, listen, obviously we got to send condolences out to George Floyd's family because this is a really, you know, it's about him. Um, and, you know, um, it's, too, it's been too many black men lost in that, in that fashion. Um, but when we talk about this, this is like, this is trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't look, don't, like people a lot of times miss it because, you know, these are witnesses, these are bystanders, but. I mean, we're talking all, all of these things that a lot of these witnesses were talking about. We basically we come down to like symptoms of PTSD. You know, yeah. they're talking about sleep disturbance. They're talking about, you know, distressing memories. They're talking about intruding uh, thoughts and memories, those type of things, sadness. So, again, I'm not saying all of them have PTSD, but these, these are the symptoms classically of PTSD. And I totally understand because there have been times over the last two to three Years where, I, you know, I've had some of those same symptoms from watching murders on my phone. You know, yeah. I, I've seen about, I can estimate I've probably seen 10, 12 murders on my phone, you know, by police shooting people, you know. So, I mean, that does something to you. And then when you see it over and over again to see George Floyd, life extinguished, you know, um, on video, to see Eric Garner murdered on video to see Fernando Castillo, how he looked after on, on video. Yeah. Walter Scott shot in the back on video. Tamir Rice killed on video. Do I, do I have to keep going? Nah, nah, that's, that's, that's so yeah. These, are, these yeah. are all, these aren't movies. You know, these are things that we saw, people whose life was extinguished that are gone. So to think that people are not gonna have a reaction to that, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's even like you said, it's, it's already, devastating and and difficult i think is an understatement to say like when you watch a video of his death is already it's already a huge emotional impact so now take in consideration the individuals that were there right right? you have the people that were actually whether they were there like um filming it or you have someone you have the store clerk that called the um that called the police regarding the 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 money situation or the firefighter right and like you said in addition to you know the um the trauma that they're experiencing i mean this is also they're experiencing that form of helplessness right i mean being able being there and not being able to help i think the firefighter mentioned that you know the police wouldn't allow her to help him so her, you know, her job, right? Her job and her training is part of helping people, right? Saving right. lives. And when you have one enforcement or when you have law enforcement saying that, no, you, you can't do this. And she's sitting there watching, like you said, this life being extinguished in front of her, 
right? And then you have others that would possibly either maybe filming it or in. Um, my heart just goes out to, you know, the store clerk because I think he's young. He's maybe like in his late teens, early 20s or so. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's, you know, just talked about just experiencing this tremendous amount of guilt. And, you know, it's like that, it's that, um, what do they call it? The, uh, the, that the survivor's guilt. Right, right, right. Of, of when you have individuals that have survived the trauma, right? They, they sometimes experience like this false belief that they would have been able to save. And for example, to save George Floyd's life. And, you know, it's, you know, I can only imagine, like you said, those intrusive thoughts that are coming in. And you have their, their, they have to live with this guilt. I mean, this is something that even as they're re, anytime they retell this story, they're going to be reliving it, right? Because that's, that's the, 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 the issue with trauma, right? When you've experienced something, you're also reliving it, even when you retell it. So, and this is something that's going to stay with them for the rest of their life. See, and this, and what you said is exactly, I agree with that. The, the, what I would add is, see, Think about it. Like most of the people you were talking about, young, younger, older, for the most part, you were talking about adults, right? Mm-hmm. But even in this article, like the girl that one of the girls that filmed the video, one of the videos that went viral, she's in high, she was in high school, mm-hmm. right? Talking about she's having problems maintaining adequate sleep, all of those things, right? But in her mind, she's talking about I, I, I should have done more, mm-hmm. you know. So you have guilt, you have that helplessness aspect, you know, reliving what she's seen. Now, this is a child, yeah. you know what I mean? With all of that on their shoulders. A nine-year-old child took the stand. Another nine-year-old child took the stand, you know, talking about, I, I believe, don't kill me if I misquoted, but, you know, not a day goes by when I don't think about George Floyd and what I saw. These are things that they're going to have to deal with and remember for the rest of their life, you know? At that age, at nine years old, you watch somebody killed in front of you, and you gotta, we got to think of what the domino effect and the implications are. This is a nine-year-old kid that watched the police kill somebody. Mm-hmm. So how do you think he's, he, he made his perceptions of law enforcement, of safety, of all of those things may be different than everybody right now? Rightfully so. Mm-hmm. You know, From what I've seen and I've experienced over my life, my, my perception of law enforcement and safety is different. You know what I mean? I primarily rely, I'm not saying I rely on myself all the time, but my first thought in every situation isn't necessarily to call the police. You know what I mean? If I'm, if I'm lost, I don't call the police. If I'm, it will have, it has to be an extreme situation where I need law enforcement assistance and then I will call them. You know what I mean? But I try to reduce as much police contact as possible because of my experiences, you know? Um, so it, but that's nothing compared to what these kids have seen, right? So if we just think about how it may impact them in so many areas of their life, they got to deal with the trauma. And then you got all of the social and all of that aspect of as black black males and females and young black children growing up, they're going to have to interact with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And they watch law enforcement kill somebody in front of them. And, and there was a whole bunch of adults around that couldn't do nothing about it. So it's going to be, you know, again, my main concern is about the long term impact, you know, and what it will be, um, because, again, kids are very resilient. For all we know, like we've seen some of these kids that have been survivors of these shootings and high school, they, some of them have ended up being like advocates and all of these things, you know, kids are very resilient. So, you know, hopefully 
they can turn it into one of those type of situations, you know, where they use this situation, you know, as motivation to make a difference. But um, there's going to be an impact. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you just don't know. Um, like this is like you said, for someone at that young of an age, how do you contextualize what's taking place of you? Right. How do you process right. what's taken? And and you hope, like you said, it it has an effect where maybe it turns into someone that goes into, you know, becomes an advocate. Right. right. But we don't know because you have some situations where what if there's limited resources or this person doesn't get the support that we need? Because that's also plays a really important part, right? Someone that age, you know, the child or the the young people and even the adults, like what if they're not getting the necessary treat or treatment or support right. given what they've experienced? Right? I mean, that's a that's a fact. And then look at the developmental age, right? I understand civil rights. So I understand the history of the police in this country and how, you know, law enforcement has been used to, to oppress us. To, and I understand it. I grew up watching videos and learning about how the police use hoses and police dogs and sick them on us. Right. A nine year old, they may understand Martin Luther King Jr. Basic elements of, and Rosa Parks and basic elements of civil rights. For them, they just watched the police murder somebody. Right. Yeah. That context is not there. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? The same way it might necessarily be for me or you. They just watch the police who everybody says call 911 when you're in trouble. Right. That when I'm in my office and I'm talking to these little kids, when I talk to mommy, talk to your teacher or who are those big guys with the badges. Right. That, this is how I talk to kids. But a nine year old, he just watched the big guy with the badge murder somebody. And, and all of the other big guys with badges or females stood around and watched. So how that's going to impact a nine-year-old, you know, you're exactly right. Because advocacy, you know, may not come until 12, 13, 14 years old. Right. And that's, <laughs> where, then that's where hopefully they gain some insight. They get the support. It, it could turn into, because as you know, and I know at that young age, very impressionable, depending on what they get exposed to. It could be a situation where, you know what, I hate the police. Right. It could turn into anger very quickly. Exactly. Given, like you said, if you're you're and this is again, this has happened way too frequently. You just rattled off a number of incidents and people. So it, it's it's not hard to fathom how someone that age, even or even adults being there now, like you said, it, it creates that incongruence where okay, I'm supposed to tell the cops, right, or police if I'm in danger, but what if the cops are the danger? So now right you know what? I'm not doing this. Cops. No, nope. Like, so it can reinforce a whole total different mindset. Like we said, we hope and we're optimistic that it'll, it'll go to advocacy and it'll go into a thing where she's, you know, that individual is able to change, but we don't know. And as you say, like you see, and you deal with that raw emotion that's in front of you of what you've experienced. Right. And that's most like, that's probably my wishful thinking. You know what I mean? Because Again, that comes with insight, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for those kids and those people, like you saw them understand, all they got right now is trauma and hurt yeah. all around. You know what I mean? Because that happened in a community. So it's not like, you know, every I'm sure every time they drive past that corner, you know, they they think about that. So it's it is wishful thinking. I'm saying that's what I would hope would happen in the best case scenario, but what's more likely to happen is that 
you know, that is going to be an event they witness live, you know, in in concert with all the other things they witnessed on their phones, you know, and they're going to develop a certain perception of law enforcement as a result. And they're justified in doing that. I can't blame them. Yeah. So, you know, um, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm wishful that um, that'll be the result of the people that were experiencing that trauma firsthand. I'm hopeful, uh, optimistic, all those things. So, um, and, you know, we have to continue to, to watch the trial as it unfolds. You know, what I will say to people, um, not just those that were there firsthand, but, you know, everyone watching is definitely, because it takes a toll on, like you said, us watching it and re-seeing it, re-seeing the footage. It's, it's, it's hard as hell to watch. And um, definitely making sure that people, everyone, you're taking care of yourself as this trial unfolds, as more witnesses take the stand. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a roller coaster ride of what the defense, you know, presents, what the prosecution, def- you know, presents, and it's going to be taxing. So I'm, I'm, you know, definitely recommending that people continue to take care of themselves. Don't get too immersed as far as like balance out, take some breaks from your exposure to watching this trial um, and continue to take care of yourself. Um and be around supportive people because this is going to take a toll. I feel on a lot of people, especially us, because again, when we see this happening to someone that looks like us, it damn sure has an impact on us, people, you know, people, your experiences. So um, as this unfolds, guys, uh, I definitely want everybody just to continue take care of yourself, limit, you know, your, your, um, your exposure to this trial and, and um, you know, and we'll see how, how everything plays out. So uh, moving on and staying on the topic of race. uh, So one of our listeners and and watchers, um, you know, put in one of our comments about the issue of colorism. And so I thought that that was an interesting topic because this is something we're talking about colorism. Uh, You know, this has been an issue that's existed for centuries, you know, in our community, you know, and unfortunately it has, you know, it's been going on since slavery, unfortunately, you know, that's where, unfortunately, the, the root of this, of the colorism that uh, took place. And for people that maybe aren't aware of what colorism, what I'm referring to is that um, anyone of any particular ethnicity or race group and, you know, within any any race group, there is a variety of pigmentation. So you have some folks that are on the lighter side or light skin, fair skin, and then you have folks that, you know, range from that all the way down to dark skin. And so, um this is what we're referring to as the colorism and the discrimination that um, that accompanies this, unfortunately. And so for what I'm referring to, especially in, in, in our community, is that, again, it's existed for centuries, all the way back into, you know, the enslavers or slave masters gave preferential treatment to people that were of lighter or fair skin, you know, so they had those individuals maybe working in the house where the left, where the work was less strenuous, less taxing. And you had the, you know, darker complexion slaves outside. Right. And so, you know, and not to say of course that, Oh, what was going on inside was better or anything because slavery is slavery and it's fucked up all the way around. However, You know, this was the separation, right? It was a divisive method that you that was that existed or that was enforced upon, you know, slaves. And so, you know, when you look at how that evolved from then, even looking at when you see, you know, the fair skin, that's a telltale sign of 
sexual assault, right? Because we know that's what the slave masters were doing. They were, you know, taking advantage or sexually assaulting, raping, you know, the women. And this is how that penetration existed, right? This is how it came into effect. And so it went from slave slavery those times to even, you know, we fast forward to post-slavery, right? To the late 1800s and to the early 1900s, where unfortunately, a lot of the opportunity to the employment was off limit to darker skinned individuals where it was only, you know, employment opportunities were given to the lighter skinned or fair skinned people. And so, you know, that created like an upper class of families within the black society, you know, and it was largely consisted of light skinned or fair skinned African-Americans. And so, you know, that just, just kind of to give like a historical kind of, you know, content or a historical kind of artifact as far as things go. And then here we are, right? So now it, it's created, you know, and that's just from the, from that point in time or that period in history to the brown paper bag test, right? So now you have African-Americans using a brown paper bag to say, you know what? Now, nah, you know what? You, you know, you don't, you don't pass that test. So now they're devising, you know, they're saying, who belongs in what society group, right? Who belongs in what group as far as based on the brown paper back? So that's already, well, you're discriminating against your own people at that point. Well, the thing about it is, obviously, I mean, we we all know that this is a big issue, you know, in our, not only in our community, but in a lot of communities of color. Sure. Uh, specifically with our community. I mean, we've all grown up. It's, anecdotally, you know, we all have our, our experiences to know, you know, that, these type of, you know, stereotypes and <clears throat> light skin, dark skin, in terms of like one being preferential over the other, we know, you know, these things are reinforced within our communities, right? So in terms of, I was looking at, um, you know, a few articles about it and they were talking about an episode of Blackish that came out, you know, where um, they was upset because the daughter, I guess, there was like some shade or the lighting in her class picture made her look dark. So the, that was what the episode was about, you know what I mean? It caused some controversy, you know, but it's a good, you know, kind of example um, because, you know, historically in our community, you know, we have done that, right? We have, in terms of the beauty standard, you know, what we've seen most likely has, you know, um, has been lighter skin, you know, straight hair, those type of beauty standards, right? Um, but again, it's not only black people, right? Because I'm looking in, like, in terms of when I start doing, looking beneath the, the surface, mm -hmm. all these articles about, you know, like these Bollywood Indian, like, actresses, you know, um, doing these commercials for, like, skin deep depigmentation, soap, and all of that type of yeah. stuff. And then it's going on in the Philippines, too, you know, so... Just in terms of people in co of color in general, it's, it's been a divide and conquer kind of strategy or I don't I don't know, divide and conquer or a way, you know, to kind of uh, cause separation and keep certain people elevated. But that's definitely, you know, correct. And then to just to bring it back to present day, like 2021, I don't want to get her name wrong. But um, Vanessa Bell Calloway, the, the, the woman that acted in um, Coming to America too, Princess Izzy. Right. Um, she was talking about when she um, when she kind of auditioned for the first role in the first movie. She auditioned for Lisa McDowell, you know. Um, and she and, and of course this is her perception, but she was saying that you know she thinks that the fact that you know they primarily had um, 
white people funding the movie, you know, and filling those acting roles, you know, was one of the reasons why she got passed over, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a perfectly it's a perfectly good example of kind of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so and of course, you know, this is her experience, you know, her perception, but the example in terms of, you know, what was on the blackest show and you know what happened to her in real life. Like these are things that go on in our community on a on a regular basis. You know, I don't want to get into the anecdotal, you know, how you know uh, that type of stuff, you know. But um, if you talk to every person of color, knows these things exist. You know what I mean? Um, so, and you know, and, and it's tough. I'm glad you mentioned, um, you know, the Blackish episode and uh, the other example you provided because you know it it does it has a huge impact, right? Cause it, it narrows, unfortunately it, it especially I'm, I don't want to just specify or target say African-American females, but it does, it, it really does have an impact, especially on black little girls growing up, right? It's two sides of it where again, depending on what's being said in the household, depending on what they see on TV or the media, right? Like dark skin, you know, little girls could definitely develop a lot of, you know, self-image issues, right? They can develop a lot of, you know, self-hatred, low self-esteem, low confidence if they feel like, oh, well, you know what? Like, this is what beauty looks like, depending on what, because of that, that divisive type of thought process is passed down and and it's, you know, something that they see in the media, right? So Gabrielle Union mentioned, Gabrielle Union and Kiki Palmer said that they, they came out I think a few years ago and like separate interviews and said that, yeah, you know what, growing up, they, that's, they wanted to be light skinned. They wanted to be more fair skinned because that's what they were told. That's what they saw of what beauty looks like. Right. It wasn't until they got older and they became more confident, maybe the roles of the different things, more comfortable with themselves that they became more comfortable with what they look like, their skin complexion, their hair, all these other different things. So, you know, totally it, it's, and like you said, it, it definitely does, you know, bringing it back today. I remember when uh Kendrick, you remember I don't know if you remember Kendrick Lamar, he had the issue, not the issue, but um on his poetic justice video mm-hmm. where he swapped out actually uh the leading lady who was um I think they had initially picked um some light skinned young lady and he swapped it out because he's like, nah, he said this there is, you know, just to kind of create balance of and he swapped it out with someone that was um of dark skin or darker complexion. And he was like, listen, like, this is what we see all the time. Right. So we got to create some type of balance because this is not something that, you know, and it wasn't like a light skin versus dark skin thing, but he was just like, I want balance because this is what's always kind of continue to be promoted, especially here. And that can, that can have an impact, especially on impressionable little girls. Oh, I mean, listen, I, what, I think we're past the point where we have to speculate as to, you know, whether what type of images, you know, the media promotes, you know, for our, our young ladies of color. You know what I mean? So um, they promote, you know, one sort of image, you know. So, again, I think it's up to us, like the individual individual families and different people, you know, to expose our you know young ladies to different images and different, not only images, but, but to surround them with, you know, sources, whether it's media, whether it's film, whether it's experiences, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, that celebrate their they beauty and their features and all of those things, right? And again, it's not to take away from anybody else, but 
for other individuals, those things are already out there. Right. So that's that that's what I'm trying to say. I think we don't have to speculate and say, you know, at least from my perspective, if because we can look, turn on the TV right now and look at who the leading ladies are and look at, you know, who has the majority of leading roles and you're going to see a discrepancy. You know what I mean? Um, So definitely a disparity. And like you said, I'm happy you mentioned like the the lengths that people go through because, you know, um, like this. What is it like the um, the whitening skin cream? That a lot of unfortunately, not just, you know, black women, but, you know, women from the Latino, you know, community from, you know, Southeast Asian, you know, from all these ones, like you just mentioned, like they're like the the whitening cream continues to be like a bestseller, you know, at these different stores. And, you know, it's used to the point where you have some individuals that are getting like mercury poisoning from using extended. Right. That's what I was going to ask you about. Um. It was a little controversy because, like, I mentioned the Bollywood stars, right? Right. I, guess, I don't want to say all of them, but a large, uh, uh, there's enough of a percentage of them that use the skin, you know, whitening cream that is kind of an, an, an issue for some people, I guess. But it became a sort of controversy because Nick Jonas' wife is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. And she was kind of tweeting support of the Black Lives Matter movement and all of those things. And, you know, people were kind of saying like it was, it's, it's, it's kind of like those are kind of like opposite views almost. You understand? Like like yeah. the irony in that, that's what individuals were kind of pointing out. So I was wondering, like, do you do you see any irony in that? I mean, because I, I certainly I don't have any problem with them supporting the movement. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you want to be very careful because. You, you know, you you don't know why individual is doing that. You know what I mean? You don't know what each person's specific reason is, but do you think that that's, a, um, you know, that, that, that that's ironic? I mean, I do. Um, I definitely see the irony in it, especially if when you, when you frame it in a certain context, yeah, I can, I can see the, the irony in, you know, you have someone that's okay. Apparently in some form or to some extent is using a cream that's trying to, you know, lighten or, you know, her skin. And at the same time, it's like, okay, you know, I want to support this, this black lives movement. So I definitely see the irony in it. Um, I think you also have to kind of take in consideration of one, why she's using the cream. Like I said, I'm all for anybody getting involved, especially people that are not black. I'm all for you, you know, them getting in and and supporting the movement because that's also going to help, right? You get, you can't just be black people. It has to be people from other different ethnicities and races. Um, and it's a situation where, I mean, you have to, I guess, look at, okay, her individual situation of why she's using it. Is it a situation where she's using it for, you know, work like for Hollywood for me, or is, it, is she using it because maybe it's a self image issue, right? It's a thing where I mean, it's like, you know, but it, is it iron? Yeah, it's definitely ironic. Yeah. I, as you was, as I said that to you, like, I was like, okay. We got to be careful about why people are using it. I'm trying to think of like a, a medical reason, any other reason that's not cosmetic. I can't really think of a reason that's not cosmetic, you know? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, same, I'm not, I'm not well versed on that as far as medically. I mean, I, I don't know much about her. I think she's in the industry and, you know, it may be a situation where she feels that, you know, maybe she's not able to get certain roles or maybe it's, I, I don't know. 
you know, um, Listen, or it could be a self-image issue because you don't know again I, what she was told. Oh, I think, I think it is, man. I'm leaning towards that with any anybody that that really uses that. So I withdraw my last statement. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't want to offend nobody, but if anybody who's using skin lightening cream, I think is more so so of an internal issue in terms of them. You know, it might be a little bit of self hate there. Let's just yeah. put it on. Yeah, I, 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 I just put it on the table. I, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, no, no judgment. We're not. We don't judge anybody. That's not what we do here on the Black Psychologist Podcast. You know, but no, it's a question that's posed. I'm not judging. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's definitely a. It's it's an interesting question to you know to pose, not just right. to her, but I think to anyone of, you know, what lens or your reasoning to want to change your skin. What have you experienced in your life? What do right. you? What are your? You know, what's the end goal here? So yeah, we could start there. That's yeah. Good. So um. So, yeah. So uh, moving forward, um, uh, a a topic or article came across your desk um, about an unfortunate event where you had a um, I think he was 12 years old or nine years old. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This was a he's 11 year old kid. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, um, the the child uh, was at home one day. He's with his parents. And um, he told his, you know, he told his mom and dad, hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to watch some cartoons. This is after he, had, I guess, been watching TV, doing stuff like on one of the, the tablets or the iPad or something rather on the phone. Um, you know, it seemed like a normal evening. And uh, on the way to, I guess, watching cartoons or on the way to his room, he decided to see, he went into his parents room and he got access to his dad's gun and he unfortunately shot himself. And sure. so um, he passed away from his, his injuries. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate event. I mean, as a parent, that is the worst thing um, that, you know, you can I can't imagine the grief that this person or the parents are going through. But that's one of the worst things that um, that can take place as, there, as it relates and pertains to, um, you know, your kids. And so, um, you know, the rest of the, the, the story kind of talks about just different areas, you know, whether the, the child possibly was experienced, whether he was suicidal or not, um, you know, the gun issues, gun control, um, you know, how the, the parents were able to move through this most difficult time in their life to um, to where they are now. So, you know, what prompted when you saw when you were kind of going through things, when it came across your desk, what, what prompted you to, the, what, you know, what stood out for you? Um, because it's a lot of issues in here. Like, you know, one is like, you know, he came from a family that they was around guns. So they they like were hunters and shooters and that that culture, right? Mm-hmm. So the first issue is they spent a lot of time in this article talking about how his dad trusted him, right? Like so again, the kid knew where the gun safe, where the key was for the gun safe, right? He's eleven, right? So they were kind of talking about, I mean, a, a, a of course, they was talking about like dad's decision making, right? Like, is it appropriate to trust a kid that young? I don't care how responsible they are with knowing how to get in a gun safe, right? Because the controversy now in the article is, I think the coroner might have ruled it a suicide, and mom and dad are saying, you know, it was an accident because because I guess he 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 didn't really have any signs of depression, suicidal ideation, or whatever. Right. So, but. I think more importantly, I think the problem when we talk about this is like kids are very impulsive and they also they're they're often irresponsible, right? 
even if they're your kids. You know what I mean? Everybody's kids. Are, and, yeah. And that's the problem, right? Everybody thinks their kids are going to be the one that's going to turn that down, right? Everybody thinks their kids are going to be the one that's going to say no. And the problem is, you know, again, I'm not blaming the child, of course, but that's why children need supervision, right? Because kids are impulsive um, and, they, and they don't think things out. And then again, what's interesting about this article, they was talking about children that was like JAMA, the you know, Journal of America, uh, I think it was American Medical yeah, Association. Medical Association. They, yeah. were, they were talking about, they did a study and 40% of the parents said their kids didn't know where the gun was and it was wrong. That yeah, that's what stood out for me also. I yeah, and it, it reminds me of kids that come in my office and the parents be like, yeah, you know, Doctor J, I smoke cigarettes, but I do it outside, so the kids don't know. Or I drink, but I do it outside, so the kids don't know. And the kid come up and they be like, yeah, Dad sits on the back porch and drink every day, right there, out of the red cup, because they know. <laughs> so that was interesting. Forty percent of parents said the kids didn't know what a gun was and they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they said children that were educated in gun safety were just as likely to say that they played with guns. Yeah. And the other one was um, 20 percent of the of the parents that claimed that um, the kids had never handled one of the guns were also wrong. Right. right. And the kids said that they had, you know, right. and, you know, I listen, Jay, I, I would never um, I would never claim to be the best parent in the world because I've, I've definitely made mistakes. You know, parenting is, is learning on the job training. That's what it is. It's like a job that you can't really get prepared for. I don't care how many books you read, so on and so forth. Right? You can be enlightened and try to prepare yourself for stuff, but it's on the job training. And it's a situation where, like, for me, I always felt like, you know what, don't I, I don't want to be that parent that's that's naive. Right. I don't want to be that parent that's either naive or oblivious to, like, what my kid is capable of doing. Right. So, like you said, it, it's a culture, right? And again, I'm not blaming the parents, but there is, they have to assume some responsibility. And I know that sounds terrible, especially when you're talking about parents that have, have lost a child, especially right. in nature. Um, however, this is a culture, right? So, like you said, like they show pictures in an article of, of dad holding and showing them and all kinds of stuff, right? Okay. That, that's a culture. I've gone into gun shops, you know, right. and I've seen kids like, 11, 12, 10 oh, years yeah. old, right? Because that's the thing. Like, and you're out there, I'm like, okay, all right, okay. So, but so it's like you're introducing them to a culture if that's the culture of the family or the household or whatever the situation may be. And they're inquisitive, right? So you can't, for me, it's like you have to safeguard and kind of put preparation or not preparation, but you have to kind of put things in, in place where, you know, you got to safeguard that weapon. So I feel like dad, like a lot of parents, like I'm sure I have in other situations, right, are kind of been naive where it's like, ah, oh, not my not my kid. My, my, you know, like they said, like the, the parents in this, you know, in these studies, like you similarly said, though, they don't know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in back. So just because they think it's out of sight, out of mind. Right? right. And, you know, and I know a lot of the kids that, you know, experience their first drink, first smoking, they're not getting it from outside. It's from inside the house. And they right. know where everything kids are inquisitive. They're also observant, right? Children are very observant. I don't care what age they are. Once they become independent, they know where things are. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it's it's definitely just a, a fatal error on 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 the parents, you know, side. Unfortunately, that you know, because my thing was, well, okay, it's one thing to have the gun, right? He can get access, which is bad already, right? 
but then he had the key. Right. So if you, you know what I mean? Like if one thing, if you want to leave the, the, the case, you want to leave the gun locked in the case, right? What well, they said it was in the case, but the kid mm-hmm. had the key, had access to the key. But so that's and to me, that's an error in judgment when it comes to setting boundaries. Right. Because, because listen, I'm sure dad told him a million times, don't play with a loaded gun. I'm sure he told him that a million times. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right? I, I'm sure he taught him how to handle a gun a million times. The problem was when you trust an 11-year-old. You can't trust an 11-year-old. You can't That's trust the any of these kids. <laughs> right? I mean, you can't trust a 17-year-old, but you can't trust an 11-year-old. Absolutely. So, I mean... It's a lot of responsibility, man. Like, like a weapon, bro. It's a lot of responsibility, and totally. Your kids should not know where where the key to the gun safe is. Yeah, I mean they're, they're gonna. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a situation, man. Like, and I'm and by no means am I saying that oh you shouldn't have guns and all because that's 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 not my thing. I'm licensed to carry, so I'm fine. Protect yourself, your household, whatever. Yeah. However, it's a situation, though, when you purchase a gun, I don't care whether it's a, a nine millimeter or AR-15, when you purchase that gun, your responsibility is also keeping it out of hands where other people, right, outside of you who purchased the gun, this all falls underneath that responsibility. Right. It, it can't be the, well, my kid would never do that because I'm also going to self-disclose, like, you know, my dad was in the military. There were guns downstairs in the basement in the house. Yeah, you know what? I I was definitely dumb enough to go down there and like I saw the guns. I'm picking it up and all kinds of stuff. Shit could have got could have went totally different, right? right? He told me a million times, right? Like, yo, don't do this, don't do such and such. And I think that's the error that you know, parents, whether it be mom or dad, whoever owns the gun, like you said, you can tell them a million times, but kids are gonna go off and they're gonna be impulsive, they're gonna be inquisitive, they're gonna do dumb stuff because that's what kids do. And you hope it's not a situation where it comes on this end, you know? Right. So, you know, I, you, you definitely just have to hold that goes, that falls right important with the responsibility of owning any type of firearm where it's like, Hey, you know, I have to put measures in where this won't happen. It seems extreme. Like for the, for any parent to fathom, it's like, not, ah, it's not happening, but no, it happens more often than they not, think. It's not extreme, but it depends on what kind of logic you apply, but apply the same logic that you would apply to almost anything else. Right. So, Every you can look at your kid and think about in your kid, think about in the last year. I don't care what age they are, they could be nine, 19, 29. How many times you told them not to do something and they did it? One year. I don't care what age the kid is, you're gonna probably find 10, 20, 30 times, right? So what would make you think that an 11 year old has the judgment and decision making to Trust them with knowing where a lethal firearm is. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. They know, like they're they're resourceful. Like kids are resourceful. Eleven, seven years old, whatever they they are observant, man. Like I, I feel like you know a a common error that a lot of parents make is that they don't think that these kids they don't like they're not paying attention to you. Like they don't hear you. Like they don't know. Like they're in right. your conversation. You talking to your best friend on the phone. They're right there. You think they're just because they're on the iPad or just because they're on their phone doesn't mean they don't hear. 
They know yeah. what's going on. Like you said, they come into your office and you ask them a question. Oh, yeah, mommy says such and such. This is what took place. Yeah, dad did such a he's out there. Don't like they know where, like, you know, like they and they're resourceful, right? They know where you come home and you're just kind of like, oh, you throw your keys on the table. Oh, okay. Dad puts his stuff. Oh, dad puts his 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 key to the thing in the drawer, right? Dad puts his his gun right up here. I can reach that now. Or I can just get on top of something, I can get to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so you know, um, it's unfortunate. I know another thing they talked about was was gun legislation laws, which is a whole different conversation. My thing is you got to make it as difficult as possible for if you have kids in, in the um, in the household. And I don't care. You like you said, even in even in the study, if you showed them how safety safe and how to use it, it doesn't matter. Like you have to make it as hard as possible that they don't have access to it. Yeah. You know, because even though this might have been an accident. You don't know where you have someone and we've seen plenty of these mass shootings take place where, you know what, the kid has things going on. He's upset. I know. You know what? I'm going to take it out on everybody at that school. And I got access to guns because there's a good percentage. It was also in the article that the the sh- mass shooters, a good percentage of them got their firearms from inside the house. Right. 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 right? So. You know, we you definitely just have to put those precautions. You got to put those boundaries. You got to put those precautions. You got to protect kids from themselves. I can dig it. Something like that. So, um, so we'll, we'll see, man. But it's it's definitely a uh, heart wrenching to, to see any family go through this because that's that. Yeah, it's know. a good conversation to have. Like people got different opinions on it, but it's it's a good conversation to have, right? Because I mean, I know, I mean, I definitely, you know, am on the side of owning firearms, you know what I'm saying? Um, legally, you know, but again, you gotta, you gotta be safe with them. So once you bring your kids into the picture, that's a different story. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, it's a good conversation to have. Absolutely. All right. Um, and then also, you know, another article that came through your desk um, was. Coping skills. There you go. Which is good because we've talked about a lot of heavy material. So it's good that, um, you know, we, we, we talk about this. So um, Navy SEALs use a technique called box breathing to relieve stress. Right. So this article came out because, um, you know, stress is something that we all experience. Right. Nobody's immune to stress. Stress doesn't discriminate and doesn't care who you are. Male, female, old, young, ethnicity doesn't matter. Right. So this is this is um, something that I feel like a lot of people can can benefit from. And the thing about breathing is that we all do it right. (laughs) You're alive and you're talking in some form of capacity. You're breathing. However, people don't always breathe the right way. Like you and you and I have done individual sessions. We've done groups based off of, um, you know, just telling people as far as deep breathing or diaphragmatic breathing techniques. And there are a wide, you know, variation of uh, deep breathing techniques, but I do like um, the box breathing. And, um, you know, because people, as we go in day to day, we take, you know, we're not breathing the right way. We're breathing, but we're not doing it in the best way where it's as healthy for us. So, you know, with the box breathing, you know, it, deals with like slowing down your breathing, you know, to relax, increase that oxygen intake, um, to release the tension increases, you know, so, uh, what stood out for you with this article? I mean, just because listen, mindfulness and coping, you know, is a big thing. Um, breathing, focus on breath, 
you know, is a big element of mindfulness, especially when we talk about managing stress and anxiety in the midst of the pan- pandemic, you know, um, and I just thought this was a good, you know, article because <clears throat> breathing, you know, especially uh, diaphragmatic breathing or box breathing, however, alternative nostril breathing, whatever uh, technique you want to use, you know, it's a good way to kind of calm yourself, center yourself, ground yourself in the present moment. And it's something mobile. So you can take it, you can do it in your car, you can do it before a meeting. Um, it's something you could do in groups, those type of things. Um, and again, it's a, it's a great technique, you know, because, you know, everybody understands, you know, we, we can call it the stress response, but everybody understands what, you know, fight or flight, what that feels like, that adrenaline, you know, when our heart rate speeds up, our breathing speeds up. You know, but but a lot of people aren't aware that, you know, we we can control the reverse reaction. So the relaxation response is kind of what box breathing engages, you know, so it slows our breathing down, slows our pulse rate down, our heart rate, you know, and it impact the way it impacts our body is, you know, overall relief in terms of stress, anxiety, tension and those things. Right. So that's why these, you know, these techniques are, are important because, again, they're free. And as long as we do them right, you know, it's something that can help us, you know, on, um, you know, on the go. Absolutely. Like you said, the, the key word is that on the go, you can do it flexible. Like you said, you can do it in your car, you can do it before work. Um, you know, whatever you we, we know, you know yourself better than anybody. Right. You, you're the expert on you. So that's something I, I've always told clients and patients. And that if you know you're getting ready to go into a stressful environment, whether it be work, whether you're about to go in the house and deal with the kids, pick the kids up. Um, whatever the situation may be, like you want to be as prepared and in the best condition for you to take care of that. Right. And so, you know, stress comes from all different angles. And so, you know, if something like you said, it's free and you can do it according to your schedule. Like you said, you can just take a couple minutes out the day and do it and think about it. Like the Navy SEALs are doing this. Right. The yep. Navy SEALs, you, you know how they operate. You know how they move. You know the conditions that, that right. they're in. So if they're using the stress, right, if they're using this technique to kind of reduce stress so they're able to go in and do the job that they're supposed to do on a daily basis, I mean, I feel like that's something that could be helpful, you know, for us. Yeah. And like you said, you can do it pretty much to your own schedule. And, and very simply in terms of, you know, you want to have good technique. So just in terms of simple, how I teach it in therapy is, you know, you want, in terms of this technique, you want to inhale on a count of four, hold on a count of four, and then exhale on a count of four. But just in general, you know, the, the, what you want to do is you just want to breathe in like you're smelling flowers. Mm-hmm. You want to blow out like you're blowing through a straw or you're blowing out candles. Breathe in like you're smelling flowers. Breathe out like you're blowing through a straw. And your, your breath out should be slow, you know, and you want to focus on your breath. Find a comfortable position, put on some nice music, focus on the music and and stay in the present moment and try it out. There you go. I mean, um, I feel relaxed already, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you know, one of the benefits is, I, you know, something like you said, what else do you have to lose? Right. What's the harm in trying it? And so the more you try it, the better at it you'll get because with everything gets better with practice. So just like you said, um, you know, 
people have more questions about it, they can definitely reach out to us. You can Google box breathing, but it's definitely something that's been helpful for me. I do it with, you know, my, my breathing techniques and with the mindfulness, the meditation, it's helpful guys. Like everybody has stress out there. I don't care who you are, what you're going through. You got some type of stress in your life and, you know, give it a try. And it's Free. just, can't be people do their own research and, you know, understand what's happening to your body, you know, when you're doing that, because, Again, you know, a lot of people are doubtful of using breathing techniques because, again, when children are upset, what do we tell them to do? Just breathe, right? But we don't really know physiologically, like, what is going on in our body underneath, you know, just the breathing to make it effective, you know? And if people understood that they could engage that relaxation response by doing different coping skills, then they would probably use them a lot more. So try it. Let us know how it works out. That's it. Absolutely. So, um... You know, we talked about a lot. Anything else, you know, before we sign out of here, good brother? No, I, th- I think I think we covered every, you know, everything that was uh, relevant this week. So, you know, um, until next time. Well, you know, again, we got through a couple of uh, guests coming up, hopefully. Um, so that should be exciting and interesting. Um, we'll we'll keep it, make it a surprise who it's going to be. But um, you know, we got some nice guests coming up to add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so something to look forward to. Absolutely. So people stay tuned. We're going to be talking about something that everybody has in their life. I guarantee it. You have this topic of what we're going to be discussing in your life in some form or fashion. All right. So um, that's going to be episode nine. This is episode eight. Again, guys, we appreciate everybody tuning in. We appreciate everybody listening. So continue to do that. Listen, watch comment subscribe um we appreciate the support and again guys we're on spotify we're on iheart radio we are on google podcast we're on that little podcast app on the iphone so <laughs> you ain't got no excuse not to listen to us all right <laughs> so we're here we've been giving out that good information you just heard dr j give his step-by-step on box breathing it doesn't get any better than that you know? oh that's free game that's all you get for free yeah we're not even charging y'all on that so you know this is (laughs) but again yeah we appreciate everybody listening so um continue to support uh because we wouldn't be here without you guys so uh without anything else uh signing out dr j i will catch you next week good brother bye my brother oh i just found it on uh just found it on on uh on uh the podcast uh, on youtube it's on there not on youtube no, not on that little purple. Uh, what's that purple icon on the I, phone? I caught, I caught the the podcast iPhone joints, the, the the Incredibles app. That's oh. it. That's it right there. We're right there in the middle. You see that? Oh man, you doing? Yo, you doing it, man? Hey, That's brother, we up. trying to do it. iHeartRadio, Spotify. Here we go. We we in here, man. We in the building. All right, moving up. In the All, right. All right, guys. So uh, signing off again, everybody. Appreciate everyone listening, watching. We'll see you and talk to you soon. All right, later. All right.